Yeah, I remember three weeks before Ramadan, I remember clearly Hus calling me one afternoon and um, he's like to me, uh, look Sal, I don't know how to break this to you. And I was like to him, just goes up, but I, well, we're really up shit creek. Wow. And I was like to him, I know, what are we going to do? Yeah. And that's when we obviously were thinking of, do we just get rid of it and make, like, are you willing to lose? And we're like, well, whatever, what do we, whatever we have to do, we'll do. And then when Ramadan hit, it was like a breath of fresh air for us that, okay, I see it now. Welcome to A Table for Two, inspiring and educational interviews and stories with the best operators, owners, and entrepreneurs in business and the hospitality industry. My name is Phil Halani, and on today's episode, we chat to Hus and Sal, two of the three owners of the highly successful 1943 cafe. Sal, Hus, and his sister managed journey is not the typical hospitality story. There was no burning desire to ever open a cafe, but when there was a relationship breakdown and a nine-year lease in Huss's name, he had no other choice but to step in and take control. With no experience in hospitality, they were determined to make it work. After six months, they had built what would end up being one of Sydney's best cafes. But it wasn't always that way. Three months after opening, they were questioning if they had made the right choice. They knew they had an amazing product and offering, but couldn't understand why they weren't busy. There were days where they wouldn't turn over $500 and gave themselves a few months before trying to sell or close the business. Things started to change when their friend Jamil came in for breakfast. After being blown away by the food, he realized they had something special. He offered to help them create more awareness through social media. Through this, things started to change. But it wasn't until the Ramadan nights that 1943 really took off. They had people from all over Sydney visiting their venue for the food, coffee and the vibe. I have spent a lot of time with these guys and know how hard they have worked to create something so special. They have recently sold 1943, but their legacy will live on forever. They really were the first in Sydney to turn the humble bakery into a unique Middle Eastern venue. 1943 was just the beginning for them. They will be opening two more venues over the next six months. Amani didn't appear on this podcast, but we hope to interview Amani in the near future to hear her inspiring story. A quick shout out to our good friends at ProCow Dairies, Sonoma Baking Co and MD Providors, who are passionate about supporting small businesses, the hospitality industry, and also this podcast. How are you boys? What's <laughs> happening, Phil? What's we, got, on, we got Sal and Huss. We're doing thank, thank you for joining me, boys. Our pleasure. It's, um, it's been, what, three months in the making? I, <laughs> I, think, so. Made it. I think so. <laughs> we finally made it. It's, um, there's a few, reason why, a few reasons why it took so long. You guys held out on me a little bit, but... Um, we we're, we're playing hard to get. I think we're playing hard to get. But um, we'll talk about that a bit later on. Um, I, obviously, every question that I ask um, every guest at the start of the podcast is, is how did you guys get your start in hospitality? So um, I'd love to hear that answer from both of you. Um, all right. Uh, I'll go first. So if anyone, before you go on, the deep voice is Sal. That's right. That's me, yeah. <laughs> and asking The high pitch. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, how do I get my start in hospitality? Uh, McDonald's, um, 14 to nine months. Uh, obviously I grew up uh, in a city suburb. Uh, and yeah, like every other 15 year old, I just wanted to make some cash uh, while I was at school. And um, yeah, my first job was at McDonald's. Uh, my sister got me the job actually. Was it normal, obviously out in the Lebanese areas, was it normal to be working for McDonald's? Like, was everyone uh, doing it? Yeah, yeah, most, most of us uh, obviously, uh, growing up in the in a the broader Lebanese community, most of us had part-time jobs, and mm. everyone knows someone. And my sister got the job because of her friend, and then I got the job because of my sister. And yeah, it was quite normal actually. 
And yeah. so before we go on to your one, uh, like how you got started, did, did any of that give you inspiration to open your own venue? Huh? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not, man. Um, no, it was just a part-time gig, man. No, I just wanted okay. to, yeah, go out with my mates on the weekend and nice. um, go to the movies. And how, how, much free, how much free food did you give away? Oh, God. <laughs> Yeah, look, to put it this way, I wasn't the model employee. Yeah, you still are. Yeah. <laughs> we won't talk about that. I'm still giving away free food. Yes. That's, that's the Lebanese hospitality in you boys. Um, Sal, what about you, bro? Man, for me, it was a little bit different. Uh, my parents moved back. We moved back to Lebanon when I was younger, and then around 14, 15, I remember I needed to make money, and I just went and worked at one of the biggest restaurants in southern Lebanon at the time. It wasn't great, it wasn't a good experience. I was earning around $20 for a 10 hour shift. And I remember I was like, I'm never wanna do this again in my life. And then um, just when I came back here and during uni, Hass and I both, we were around a lot of small bars and doing a bit of security work to make some money and we were surrounded by really good hospitality people. And I think that's what kind of drove me to get into it. All right, so you guys are, um, so obviously you, did, you dabbled in hospitality when you were younger. You both really didn't love it. Like it was just a job, kind of make mm. ends meet. And then you guys met in a security company. Is that? Yeah. Well, How'd you guys meet? The progression through hospitality was uh, was quite um, uh, different to most other people. Um, so obviously, um, after working at McDonald's when I was a kid, I ended up in other little part-time hospitality jobs here and there, whether I was a waiter, a waiter, sorry, or. Um, uh, just a food runner, um, uh, but uh, while I was at uni, I ended up uh, scoring a security door host role um, at a, a small bar in Sydney called The Grasshopper, and at the time that was owned by um, a really cool dude, his name is uh, Mario Sullivan, um, and he, at the time he was the president of the Small Bar Association, um, and I ended up working for him for about three years. And I was his kind of door host, right-hand man. Um, I would help him out um, clearing the floor, um, seating guests, greeting guests, um, helping out with reservations. Um, and obviously I was there in kind of like a security capacity. And uh, because of Marty, um, we, uh, we ended up scoring a few more bars. Um, he recommended uh, me to other small bar owners at the time in Sydney. And this was when, uh, during a time where kind of Sydney's small bar scene was just bursting at its seams. Mm. It was growing really rapidly. You had people like uh, Pocket, Button, uh, Grandma's, The Wild Rover, all opening venues. And a lot of these kind of small bar owners, they didn't want uh, security guards. They saw what Marty was doing at the time and they liked the approach that he was taking and uh, they wanted a similar type of thing. So me and my, my mate at the time, um, uh, we started a little security business and we started to employ guys that were just like us, studying at uni um, or you know, uh, using it as a part-time job to make a bit of extra money. Um, yeah, we started to employ these guys and um, Sub, subcontract them out to all these small bars. And uh, Sal was one of them. So Sal ended up being the regular door host slash security 
uh, for um, the boys at Mary's. Oh, wow. Yep, and they were also uh, heavily linked to, obviously, restaurants like Porteño, um, Bodega, um, now Humble, um, now Bastardo. So these guys are kind of like really, really heavy dudes in the industry. Um, and that's kind of how we ended up in hospitality Yeah. in a nutshell. Yeah, we're surrounded by them a lot and kind of drew inspiration from them. And like I said, we were doing security at the time, but it was more like hosting, uh, managing queues, talking yeah. to customers. At times we'd get in there and clear tables. And, yeah. uh, so it was more you were part of the venue. Yeah, we felt like we were really part of the venue. Yeah, an extension of the venue. and. We always used to just talk about, you know, hospitality and how these guys are great at doing it. And did that guy, did that inspire you guys to open your venue? Um, did it inspire us? Um, to a certain extent, yeah, for me personally, um, I know that uh, being surrounded by such good hospitality people uh, definitely allowed me to see things in a different light. You know, I'd ask a lot of questions. I'd have chats to the owners. I'd have chats to the managers on a regular basis. Um, did it inspire me? I, I could. It definitely uh, motivated me. Mm. I wouldn't call it inspired, but definitely motivated yeah. me. Yeah. Same for you, Sal. Yeah, same for me. And for me, it was a little bit different. I was a bit. I'm a bit younger than Hus, believe it or not. If you see us, <laughs> but um, and I never really had any backing. So to me, it was more of a, a long-term goal. Mm. I didn't really think it'll be as soon as 1943 was. Yeah. Um, but it was definitely something that it was always in my mind. I, I even know like my one of my, my best friend Marcel owns Erloom Specialty Coffee in Mossman and I was very close with him and very hands on with him when he was opening his business and seeing what it's like. So I always like had it in the back of my mind but just wasn't quite sure when I would do it, mm. you know? Yeah, and, and did working security ever look at you look at venues thinking, man, I could do things so much better or you guys are too like you didn't really think of that back then? N not specific venues, yeah. but you could compare venues. Okay. So, for example, there were, at one stage, we got to about 30 or 40 bars, and these included restaurants, like in quite high quality restaurants. So, you could definitely see the difference between the better performing bars and restaurants mm, okay. and the poorer performing bars and restaurants. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you could definitely see which guys were doing a better job. So, yeah, that was, that was a real eye opener. Yeah. And, and being in security, Moving on, before we start talking about 1943 and, and you guys opening your first business, was it you just over security at that point or was it just something you wanted to do, you wanted to add something to the portfolio? So I was, um, I finished, I graduated from uni and then I was actually working uh, at the NRL for around two, three years and I was doing uh, sponsorship and okay. a lot of corporate hospitality. Okay, you were in corporate? Yeah, so I was in corporate for a few years for the NRL and for the Bulldogs. Um, and then I, I just found myself naturally going towards the corporate hospitality side yeah. where I was more, a lot of sales and business of course and a lot of hospitality involved. We had Friday nights doing hospitality and it was so normal for me being in those environments and, and then obviously uh, 1943 popped up. So let, let's, <laughs> let's talk about 1943. <laughs> All right. Uh, it's, it, there's so many questions I want to ask about, about the business. Obviously I know a lot about it but I think I want to get a bit deeper with this um, with, 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 about the venue, let's talk about the, the partners. Who, who was who, who was involved with 1943? Okay, um, so 1943 is a bit of a funny story. <laughs> um, 
So originally we had um, played around with the idea of opening a venue. Yep. So I'd been in security at the time for about, uh, I think, 11 years. Um, small bars were doing their thing. Um, I'd graduated uni. And my sister and I had always uh, talked about one day opening a venue together. Um, like everyone uh, in Sydney, <laughs> everyone, wanted to open, everyone wants to open a cafe, so we, we all often spoke about one day opening a cafe. Uh, one thing led to another. Um, my sister at the time was um, um, married to uh, now her ex, uh, her former brother in, my former brother-in-law. Um, she approached me about doing a venture with him. Uh, at the time, he wasn't in a financial position to do his own venture. Um, so he pitched the idea to me of opening a, a bakery, um, a Lebanese-inspired bakery. Um, so I was, at the time, I was a bit reluctant uh, to do with business with family. So I kind of put the ball in his court and said, listen, man, um, go out, look for a venue, speak to some agents, speak to a solicitor, and if you have something, just get back to me. Man, about a year went past and nothing really came back. Um, and then my sister brought up the conversation again and said, look, um, he's gonna need a bit of help talking to some agents and speaking to a solicitor. You've been through these types of processes before. Um, can you, can you uh, help him out? So yeah. <laughs> Being, uh, you don't like to say no. Uh, no, nah, being the brother, <laughs> the loving brother that I am, I, uh, I said, yeah, no worries. I reluctantly agreed. Um, so I started to look uh, for a, for a little space. So at this point, you're not interested in opening. Open. I'm not interested, man. Yeah. My business is doing okay. Um, I'm happy. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm in a good space. Um, yeah, me and my 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 business partner uh, at the time. Uh, we were just looking at investing in other things um, and venues were the last thing on my mind. Um, I was doing my banking in Rockdale uh, on a weekly basis for the security business and um, I'd walk past this shop every single day um, whether we were getting coffee or doing our banking and I'd just walk past it and it was always empty. It was a little corner shop in Rockdale. Uh, it was a stone's throw away from uh, the train station and it had a huge car park right next door to it. It was the last shop on the corner. I'm like, man, this doesn't seem like a little bad shop. Mm. Everyone told me it's, it's a trash shop. Everyone's <laughs> like, man, what the hell are you doing? This is, this, this is a nightmare. They didn't see the vision you said. No. Yeah. Um, so I, I gave the agent a call and um, he's like to me, man, look, it's been empty for just over a year, come in and have a look at it. Um, the next day, um, I met the agent on site, I looked around and it was just literally just a, a blank canvas. There was nothing there, there was no hot no, water. Not exhaust, nothing? Nothing, not a single wow. thing, yeah. No hot water, no plumbing, no nothing. So I'm like, man, I'm looking around, I'm like, this is probably gonna be a little bit expensive to fit out. Um, I just threw out a number at him. I said, look, this is what I'm prepared to pay. Let me know if the owner accepts it. Man, a couple of days later, he sent me an email back and he said, look, can you put that in writing? 
and I can take it to the owner. So, yep, no worries. I put it in writing, I sent it away. Funny thing is, my brother-in-law at the time, he didn't actually like the site. <laughs> so he didn't like the site, and I was just kind of sick of hearing from my sister telling me, hey, man, Huss, you really need to help him. Um, come on, please find a site, you know. Um, so I was like, listen, this is the site, this is the rent, it's really, really good rent. For me, it's really low risk. Well, this is what we're doing. I'm like, but you guys need to kind of develop the brand, the name, and the entire concept. I've got no time for this. And he's like, yep, don't worry, it's done. Signed the heads of agreement. A couple of weeks later, we're doing a lease. I signed the lease, pay the deposits. I forget about it. I'm like, all right, it's done. Uh, he'll handle it. Two weeks later, uh, after signing the lease, I kind of get the, uh, the impression that nothing's happening. <laughs> so I asked him, I said, hey, man, like, um, by the way, I don't want to mention his name. So That's all right. We don't, yep. yeah. um, I'm like, hey, man, um, what's going on with the site? How are you going? And I just kind of got a, like a blank look. And I'm like, okay. So I'm a personal guarantor here. Right. I've signed a lease. How long, how long was the lease? Sorry, uh, it was th uh, three plus three plus three. Yeah, so initially yeah. three years. Um, I'm like, all right, man, fuck, I'm in, <laughs> I'm in all sorts. Um, so I kind of I sent a message to my sister. I'm like, listen, I kind of I need to steer the ship here. Um, I'll get it happening. Just let him know that he kind of needs to answer to me because I need to get this done, you yeah. know? Within a couple of days later, he had sent me a message that he no longer wants to be involved in the business. Far out. <laughs> yeah, man. What kind of pressure did that put you under, man? Um, at the time, I was, uh, I was building a house um, and I was financially quite stretched. I had allocated a little bit of money for the shop. I was, um, yeah, I was under a, a, quite a bit of strain. I'd lost a big contract for work as well, a security contract which dried, in, dried up a lot of the money that was coming in. Um, and yeah, it was, it was a really, really tough time for me, man. Um, well, I don't think I have ever seen you. Like, I've known Haas probably for 10 years now. Yeah. Since I was you know, 17, when I first moved back here. And um, yeah, I always remembered uh, he was always like the, yeah, it's, everything's going to be fine kind of guy. And yeah, positive attitude. Positive attitude and everything can get done, but... Obviously, we kind of knew what was going on in the background, but we didn't know the details of it yeah. until mm. after he um, obviously went through all of that and then it was like, all right, shit. <laughs> so you guys, your brother-in-law's out of the picture in regards to the cafe? Yeah, so he, he, he tells me he doesn't want to be involved anymore. And then, yeah, um, a couple of, couple of weeks after that, he pretty much walked out of my sister's life and oh, yeah. that was that. Um, so my sister is a school teacher she's got a full time job stable job Wow! I'm like Amani you're going to have to quit your job you know we, we got to build this shop um, so I call up a couple of my mates um, I'm like man I've got to build this shop I've taken this shop it wasn't meant for me it is for me now um, I just need everyone's help uh, I've got a really tight budget I'm talking like 
tight, tight budget. Um, I need everyone just to give me a hand. So I was very fortunate. I had a couple of mates that were willing to roll up their sleeves and help me out. They seen you in that position as well. They seen me in that position. Yeah. I was a bit, yeah, my back against the wall. My mum is, God, um, probably we can't, we can't really describe how much she's done for 1943. My mum was a baker for a long time. She worked uh, for a lot of Lebanese restaurants when I was a kid. Um, she worked uh, for numerous bakeries. Man, she's just like the greatest, toughest woman of of all time, man. That's yeah. beautiful, man. And, and you make them like that. Yeah. One hundred percent. And you know, she's the queen of the family. Like, yeah. you, you, you just you walk in and you can see her working, but she's just smiling. She sees you, and she smiles, yeah. man. It's really beautiful to watch. Yeah. So, you guys, are, at what point, Sal, do you come into the equation here? Because obviously, originally it was just going to be uh, Hus, um, Amani, and the ex-brother-in-law. When do you come into the picture? So obviously I was good friends with Huss at the time and, and I remember we used to go training together and we'll be sitting in the car and then we used to, we'd drive to Five Dock to train and I remember from uh, Rockdale to Five Dock, it would just be Huss in the back seat telling us about this whole situation he was in. And then in my head, I always used to think, I wish I could help him. Yeah. But I felt like, you know, it's his brother-in-law and, and it, was a, it was a bit of a tricky situation um, and then obviously when he, when he told me that his brother-in-law has left his sister and doesn't want to be a part of it anymore, um, and I've seen that he was under that kind of stress, uh, I had a little bit of money saved from my work over the years and I just, we went out for dinner one night and I was like to him, man, like, you know, I trust you, you know me and if you need a hand, because I remember... Even at that time, Huss used to say, man, I, I like this gack. I got this gack idea. It's a gack here. famous gack. And then I was like, I was like man, that, like, in my head, I don't think anybody was really like listening. Everyone was like, yeah, yeah, mm. gack. Everyone's done that. But I kind of knew what he was saying. I was like, man, that could work. Like that could change the game. And obviously the uh, 1943, what it stands for, was something I really believe in coming from a Lebanese heritage and living in Lebanon and my family still living in Lebanon. So I was like, man, you know, this might be that opportunity yeah. to help out a good friend and have a crack and, yeah, and then I told Huss and, yeah, the rest is... The rest is history. Rest is well, history. I, could, I could tell how emotional you got talking about that part of the original part of the journey and I haven't seen that version of you. Like, what? <laughs> we, we've spoken sometimes about hospitality and we get, yeah. you know, but um, how, what was it like when Sal offered be part of what you were doing um at the time i remember he he sat me down he said listen man i see you talking about this idea that you have um and i want to be a part of it and i like see i mentioned earlier i'm a little bit older than him and i'd like to think i'm slightly wiser than him yeah. at times <laughs> <laughs> well um <laughs> you'll be the judge of that right phil you'll see me at my worst <laughs> um now, yeah at the time i was like I can't get this kid involved, man. Like, I'm in, I'm in this type of position because of the decisions I made. Mm. Um, I was a bit hard-headed, you know. I, I went out there. I signed the lease, you know. I was like, nah, we're going to do it. Um, he walked away. And I was like, nah, man, I've I got to deal with this. But then he kept pushing back, man. He's like, no, no, no. I, I like this idea. I like this, this thing that you're creating. Because on the way to training, every night, like, man, I'm thinking of calling it this. And then we're going to have this on the menu. 
and it's just going to be real clean, simple stuff. And we're going to have real good coffee. And at the time, um, I didn't know what coffee supplier I wanted to kind of like yeah. go with, but I knew I wanted good specialty coffee in the, in the shop. And at the time, um, I, I understood coffee, but I didn't understand coffee, if that makes any yeah. sense. From a, from a person's point of view, you knew what you liked. From a I knew what I liked, but from yeah. a, yeah. So I knew I wanted specialty coffee in there. And no one had really ever done specialty coffee with Lebanese baked goods. It was always done kind of half-assed. Um, and yeah, he just hear me talking about it in the back seat, writing down notes and kind of organising everything. And he kept pushing back. And then eventually I'm like, all right, man, all right, you want to have a crack? You're in. But you've got to understand that there's consequences, right? And the consequences are that if, we, if this doesn't do well, you're going to lose a chunk of money. And he was, he's like, yep, done. You no fear at that point? No, I just, I was like, I just wanted to have a crack. I backed myself. I have a lot of respect for him and I really, really believed in what he was saying. Mm. And I really just felt like, you know, that support network was what he needed. And yeah. um, I felt like together we could really, really bring this to life. And, and I really wanted it to come true and I wanted it to happen because I seen the struggle he was going through. And um, yeah, I, I remember I called my mum and I was like, to Lebanon and, and my mum was very encouraging. She's like to me, That's go beautiful. for it. Um, yeah. And, and then, yeah, we just so started we, building the place. Yeah, See we rolled up our sleeves. I got my mates helped me out. Um, we just built it ourselves, man. Yeah. And, um, the, and the name 1943, where, where did that come from? Um, that is the year of Lebanese independence. So we wanted to obviously tie in the food uh, and the experience to the name. Yeah. Um, and at the time, I was just thinking about all sorts of names. Amani was suggesting <laughs> heaps of names. And we, her and I were going backwards, forwards, backwards, forth, And we just couldn't come up with something. Nothing really stood out. Mm. And um, so Amani came up with a name and we were like, all right, we'll just run with that. And we weren't happy with it. Right? We're not even going to mention We're not it. even going to mention Let's mention no, it. No, Absolutely no, not. No, she'll kill us. Yeah. Um, we'll talk about Amani very soon. But, um, yeah, maybe I wanna, off air. Maybe off, off the air, air you tell me what. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I remember it was a Saturday afternoon and I was just lying... I had come home early um, and I was getting ready to go to work uh, that night. I was, I was getting ready to do a bar shift and I was lying on my bed at home thinking, man, what the fuck am I going to call this thing? Um, and I just kept thinking about all the small bars we worked at and how cool their names were and how kind of abstract they were and they were catchy and they were edgy and I wanted a name like that. And then I'm like, I thought about a couple of dates, key dates. I thought about my dad's birthday and then I thought about my mum's birthday and I wanted to kind of pay a bit of homage to them. But I'm like, but that's real personal. You know, yeah. I've got this, this guy involved now, you know. It has to be personal to him as well. Yeah. He has to kind of connect with the name. And um, I'm like, what are the key dates in Lebanon's history? So I went to my trusty friend Google. and uh, Google, eh? <laughs> So I just typed in, you know, uh, Lebanese uh, history and key dates, and I just was reading through the Wikipedia page, and then it just popped out at me. And I'm like, all right, that's the name. And you look at 1943 now, and it could have be named anything else. No, like, no, it's no, just no, perfect. It was meant I mean, for it. Other than the name that Manny chose. Yeah. Yeah. Other than the name that Manny chose, which you're not going to mention. Um, so while we're talking about Manny, can you tell me a little bit about? We're going to go back and forth a little bit. 1943, but 
about everyone's role and, and what, you know, Amani obviously couldn't make it because you guys didn't invite her. Oh, <laughs> oh I don't know. No. Philip Polani. Philip you're in big trouble, mate. You've got serious uh, it's problems. A, to be honest, she's going to be like, I'm going to interview her separately because she's really the heart and soul of the She's business. the star, mate. Yeah, the star. So yeah. can you tell me about each person's role and what they bring to the table? Yep. Um, well, obviously, um, when we started to build it, Amani quit her job. It's a big call, man. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah she's like, all right, we're in. Uh, Mum quit her job. Wow. Yep. Sal was... God, he's well, I, at the time, I remember I spoke to Huss and I was like to him, look, man, like, I've just given you all my money. Um, I have to pay rent. Um, I'm going to keep my job for now. Um, but, yeah, I was kind of getting in there at 4.30 in the morning, 4.15. We used yep. to start getting in there, yeah, I think. that time. And wow. then um, I'd be there till 9 and then I'll drive down to the office... I was working for the Bulldogs at the time, and then I'd come back on my lunch break from 12 yep. to 1, and then I'd go back to the office, and then... Is this during trading, or just during No, this build? is during trading, and during, during building... Um, it was a bit of both. It was a bit well. of both yeah, as well, wow. yeah. So, um, essentially, our roles in the beginning were... Uh, me, I, I was the, the jack of all trades. I was in the kitchen. Um, I was on the pass. I was on cold drinks, I was on the floor, anything that needed to be done, I was doing. Mm. And that was my mum and I, right? So mum was on the, on the bakery, and then I was just banging all the food out in the kitchen. I had the towel over my shoulder, I Chef had the hat backwards, man, and I was just smashing it out. I did, time to be alive. Yeah, as a kid, I did always hang around in the kitchen with mum, but um, I always enjoyed cooking, but the, the, I was the furthest thing away from a proper trained cook or chef, you know? I was just kind of winging it, right? Yeah. Um, I'd ask my sister for feedback, ask Sal for feedback, ask mum for feedback, but that was really it, right? Um, Sal was on the coffee bar early mornings, then he'd shoot off to work, and Amani was just front of house. Customer service, on the register, just making sure the floor was good, and then she'd help me out with cold drinks when we were getting smashed, mm. right? So in the early days, it was it was like that, man. It was a really thin team. Yeah, it was. It, it was wow. Yeah. I didn't know Sal was had two jobs at the time. Yeah, he was working man. one job, and that's how are you coping with that? Oh, I was just a robot yeah. with no <laughs> friends and soulless no life man. and soulless. soulless. But yeah. I was just determined, and I just wanted to, you know, do what I can to to that's make it work. Yeah, yeah. I, I knew that my job with the NRL was just temporary, and I knew that I just had to stick it out just to make ends meet. Because the shop had a very slow start, yeah, like a very very slow start. Um, yeah, I, so I remember you talking to me about that, and and you know the first I think it was six months you guys yeah, were. It was hard. So let, so let's talk about that journey. We're going to go a bit back and forth with this yeah, journey, yeah. but I, I didn't know this about you until probably two years after meeting you, and we were talking about that first six months, no one showed up. Yeah, like we built this shop in ten weeks, me and my mates. I have no idea about PR. I have no idea about... So I didn't have a social media account at the time. Um, I've been hanging around the city for 10 years. I kind of know what I want out of a venue, but I don't. I don't know how to make it happen, though. Yeah. yeah execution yeah. was... Yeah, it, was, it wasn't really... The, the ideas were there, but execution wasn't. So we, um, we opened the doors and sit around waiting for people to walk in, in a nutshell. I remember I used to ask us, did, did John come in today and get that one <laughs> coffee? Why he didn't come? Damn it. Fuck, yeah. man. What are we going to do now? Yeah, man. So, was... you, so you open the doors, 
say you're working for your other jo- uh, another job, but no one's coming. What's a feeling going through in your mind? It's like fucking depressing. Severe man. anxiety. <laughs> wow. It's depressing yeah. as hell, man. You're like, hey, man, we've built a pretty cool looking venue. Mm. The food's pretty bang on. The coffee's nice. Where the fuck is everyone? You know, aren't you supposed to open up and start printing money? I was not that naive. I'm like, aren't you supposed to know? supposed to open up and people are supposed to walk in and buy some things and I mean I remember there were days we'd do 300 bucks wow yeah, yeah. on a good day we'd do 600 and I'm yeah those uh, th- there were days where I was just like man what the fuck have I done so I spoke to a friend after about three months I'm like man I've got to get rid of this thing this thing's a three months in. Three, three months, months in. I'm like, this is this how you were feeling, Sarah? As well? Yeah, we were sitting down. Yeah, I'm like, this thing's a fucking disaster, man. Um, I'm like, the food's mad. Everything's cool. And then it was one month before uh, Ramadan, and we're three months in, and uh, my mate walked in uh, to try my food because everyone locally was talking about it they're like man you gotta go try this place and people were trickling in it wasn't like an avalanche of people coming in yeah, people yeah. were just trickling in and my mate uh, is quite a crafty dude he owns uh, a very big online shoe company called Shoe Grab uh, Jamil thank you shout out to Jamil <laughs> shout out to Jamil shout out to we Jamil love, we love I always you, wanted Jamil. to say that you know with a microphone <laughs> shout out to Jamil 20% off swipe up <laughs> yeah. um yeah, so uh, Jamil walks into the shop. I've come out. I've made his food, and I've come out to serve it to him. And he's like, "Hus, man, this is a pretty cool venue." I'm like, "Yeah, I know, man." I'm like, "It's a shame I'm not making any money." <laughs> he's like, "How long have you been here for now?" I'm like, three months, man." He's like, well, "What's going on?" I'm like, "I don't know, man. It's not enough people. There's too many coffee shops in the area." And he's like, to me, "No, man. I just..." I just don't think you have any online presence. Like, how are you getting yourself out there? How does everyone know mm. that you're here? It was and just I, me and Huss taking photos on Instagram. Yeah, at the time we had a shitty Instagram it was account. Last time. Are these photos still online? Probably. I, hope yeah, I, hope I reckon not. Jamil got rid of them. <laughs> yeah. By the way, Jamil does an unbelievable job. He did do it. He did yeah. an amazing yeah. job. So, sorry, so he comes up to you, your food's amazing, you got no online presence. Yeah. What's next? He's like, I'm like, Man, I don't know what to do. He's like, man, you gotta, you gotta have a bit more online presence. And I'm like, man, I, I don't know anything about social media. He's like, man, I'll help you with it. He's like, listen, man, I've been thinking about starting a little social media, uh, like a creative media company, an online creative media company for a while now. I'm gonna use you as the guinea pig. And by the way, Shoe Grab is huge, man. Shoe Grab's got like, I don't know how many it's a massive follower. Over 100,000 followers on largest, Instagram. the largest like, online He's just opened up a monster shop in Bankstown on Canterbury Road. The guy's a beast. Yeah. So I'm like, if I'm going to listen to anyone, I'm going to listen to this dude right yeah. now. And he's like, listen, man, I'm happy to... He didn't charge me any money. It was all his own time uh, for the first couple of months. He's like, listen, I'll give you um, a bit of a push and then uh, for the next month and then we'll do Ramadan for another month and then we'll have a chat after that. That's really kind of him. It was very, very kind. What made him do that? Was it because he knew us? I went to school with him. He was like like one of the older boys in school. Um, And the school we went to, you know, it was a little bit rough around the edges. So he always looked up to those older guys. Um, And yeah, he used to see me at school and I used to try and hang out with him. (laughs) 
But it's credit to you boys that someone will do that for you. It shows that they have a lot of love and respect for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. And he, he knew I was having a good crack at it. Yeah. So Jamil takes charge of the social media. I'm like, you control it. We want nothing to do with it. Man, literally the next day he walks in with this with his camera and everything else, he starts snapping photos of everything. I'm like, what the fuck like, is this guy is this, doing, man? Yeah, like, what's wrong with this guy, man? Yeah, he's, um, gone all, he's gone crazy. Starts taking photos and starts posting up and starts going sick with the stories. Starts putting a camera in my face, camera in Sal's face, camera in Amani's face, camera in my dad's face, <laughs> whoever he could get his hands on. That's awesome. And he starts to build this, this online family, right? And these things just starts to gain momentum. 20 followers a day, 30 followers a day, 50 followers a day, 100 followers a week. And then Ramadan comes and we're getting a bit more momentum. And then that Ramadan, in hindsight, was not that busy. But to us at the time, nuts. was when, nuts. When you say Ramadan, you guys are doing nights only. So yeah, what we do in, in Ramadan is we flip the bakery uh, to a night trade because people don't eat or drink uh, from sunrise to sunset. So in order to, to kind of capitalise on that month and not let it go to shit completely yeah. and close the doors, we're like, man, we've got to open the doors at night. So uh, we decide to open the doors at night, switch our trading hours, and it absolutely explodes, man. Explodes for us at the time. <laughs> so my mate... Tupper Jackson at the time was working for me at a small bar. Tupper was a, was, a, was a chef in New Zealand and he had moved here to live with his brother and he didn't want to be a chef anymore. I'm like, you got to come and work for me, man. <laughs> we need some, <laughs> I go, I need some help. Yeah. So Tupper comes in with his, <laughs> with his, his Kiwi accent, right, <laughs> fresh off the boat from New Zealand. He's in the kitchen, I'm in the kitchen, Sal's on the coffee bar, we've got Amani on the register, we've got mum in the back, I'll get my auntie in as well, and then it's just all guns blazing. So for that month, we're banging it out. No one has a day off, Um, everyone's doing, I don't know how many hours a day, just crazy hours. Possible. Yeah, getting in there at one o'clock in the afternoon and probably leaving at around three in the morning, right? Mm. One o'clock to prep, and then three o'clock after cleanup. And then, man, after that first Ramadan, it was just uh, a constant uh, growth for, th- for, I'd say, two and a half years. So a mix, a mix of the social media and then that Ramadan night really put you guys in the map in the area. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I remember three weeks before Ramadan, I remember clearly Hus calling me one afternoon and um, he's off to me, uh, look, Sal, I don't know how to break this to you. And I was like, Tim, just goes up, but I, well, we're really up shit creek. Wow. And I was like, Tim, I know. What are we going to do? Yeah. And that's when we were obviously thinking, of, do we just get rid of it and make, like, are you willing to lose? And we're like, well, whatever. What do we, whatever we have to do, we'll do. And then when Ramadan hit, it was like a breath of fresh air for us that, okay, I see it now. And that was when I left my job. Yeah. So during Ramadan. So what? Let's just say Ramadan nights. Nice how long did you think you had left in you before you guys said, let's oh, sell it? Let's man. get it. I don't know, three or oh, four months? Yeah, three, yeah. So we're about four months deep in, and I reckon another three or four months, I would have given it a good crack. Uh, eight months, maybe a little bit longer. 
Yeah. Wow. Because I think a lot of doubt started creeping in. Yeah, a lot in. of doubt. Well, like maybe the, 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 the product isn't as good as we think it is. The product's no good. The idea of it is it's not that great. Um, but then, yeah, Jamil, after he walked in, he said, man, you've got a good product. You're just not showing it off to people correctly. Mm. You've got a really good product. Food's nice. Coffee's nice, man. Just get this out there a bit better and you're going to be fine. Yeah. Mm. And that's essentially what happened, man. Um, it was just growth on growth on growth and then um, we had a couple of we had a write up from Time Out Magazine uh, which was awesome we made top 10 toasties in Sydney with the gark yeah with the yeah, gark yeah. right and that was pretty cool because man, you had some some serious like Brickfield's Bakeries on there yeah. you know um, you had some serious dudes on there uh, on this list and we're like I think Saga was on there you know Andy Bowdy yeah. man like huge yeah, yeah and we're like we're, we're on this list and we're like, man, that's pretty cool. It's, it's really good recognition. And then yeah, after that first year of trade, um, we started to, well, our heads were above water. And we're like, man, this is going to be all right. Mm. And that was it, man. The rest is history. It's amazing, man. And you also mentioned with a couple of write-ups, you also had um, one of the most well-known Lebanese um, social guys coming out. Uh, no garlic, no onion. Yeah, his name Anthony Rahayo. Yeah. He yeah, came yeah. down. That was pretty cool for us as well because I'm actually a big fan of his and I think Hassis as well. We yeah. watched all his videos on, on wow. YouTube and I remember it, that was actually a funny story because when he came down to Sydney and then I was like, shit, Hassis coming to Sydney. And then I messaged him off my personal account. Hus messaged him off his personal yeah. account. We messaged him off the business yeah, this account. Is, this is the king of, and, of, of um, Lebanon, Don't be a right? dickhead and come. Yeah, we're like, just don't be shit and just come. <laughs> yeah. uh, like, it's going to be good, don't worry. So you yeah, scared yeah. him into coming, Hus. Well, we think so. And then, I don't know. Then he, and then he said, yep, yep, I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. And then I remember he never, he never showed up. No, he never showed up. He never showed up. And then... Randomly on a Saturday afternoon. Randomly on a Saturday afternoon, me and this guy getting smashed and he just walks in. Mid-service, mid-chaos. Mid yeah, yeah, yeah. Saturday. <laughs> Shop's packed. There's nowhere to sit. I'm like, what the hell are you doing here? Heads up. Give us a warning. Yeah, yeah nothing. No heads up. No yeah. message. No. Take no. a nothing. seat. Get out of my way. <laughs> Um, yeah, but that was awesome That's as well. Cool. That, was, that gave us a good boost. Mm. You guys talked about when, when the shop was open, there was, it was an empty show and you set up the kitchen and the bar and all that. How many things did you regret during your, like, the last three years at 1943 where you're like, we should have done this differently? Every this fucking oh, minute everything. <laughs> Every minute of the day, Phil. Why was that? It just does not work. <laughs> <laughs> well, you made it work and, uh, and you made it work very yeah. well. So. I, I think 1943 over the last three years was internally built three times over. Yeah, yeah, uh, we kept chopping, changing, fixing. Yeah, yeah. because uh, that, was, that came down to our inexperience, you know? Um, we had a coffee dude who consulted to us in the beginning who was an absolute piece of shit. Um, <laughs> not mentioning any names. Not mentioning any names. <laughs> so, no, no. Um, he kind of took our money and ran off. Um, we were pretty vulnerable. Yeah, I was vulnerable at the time. Yeah. Well, you, tr you, know, you know what it is, you trust everyone at the start. Yeah, yeah that's know, right. So, yeah. so he, he apparently was supposed to come back and follow up and do all this other stuff that he never did. He literally just grabbed the money and set up a half-assed bar and never came back and screwed us into one of the worst coffee deals ever. But we got out of that. Of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. We got out, out of the other end. Yeah, we got out of that after about four months. Um, and yeah, and the kitchen was just built wrong. Uh, but then when Matapa came in, um, you know, he, he did streamline some things, man. He was like, Ben, we've got to get the prep levels up. We've got to do this. We have to do that. Um, we built a core room. Uh, we built dry storage. We just built 
so many other things. Did you guys build a get bigger and change as you got busier? Is that yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, was yeah. A, it was a gradual process because we didn't really know how busy we were going to be, and we didn't know how to handle volume. Yeah. So initially, it was built to do maybe like ten covers a day. Yeah, maybe yeah, fifteen <laughs> covers a day. <laughs> Yeah. And then as we slowly got busy, we're like, all right, well, this is becoming a problem. Yeah. Let's yeah. fix what a, this. What a great problem to have, though. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, I think that story of, of your resilience during that period, boys, is, is very impressive because I think a lot of times people will just say, you know, I'm done. I'm going to mm. give up. But you knew you had a great product. You knew the location was quite good. Mm. It just it needed your name to be out there. That's it. And I guess the social... Did that teach you at that point that how important social media was? Oh, man. Definitely, yeah. man. Definitely. Just, not just social media, but just the overall online presence whether you're on uber eats whether you're you have a website your google rating is so important like because when people google cafe rockdale whatever you pop up man yeah and if you're not there um you you go unseen or if you're low people if are gonna, you're low yeah. you go yeah people yeah we're we're now if people google uh Suja, we're the first one that really? pops up yeah, yeah, yeah. just write uh, Suja in google <laughs> No, no, we'll talk about your reviews because I, I don't think there's many cafes or restaurants out there that have a 4.9 out of 5 on Google. So that's massive credit to you boys, especially especially in an area like Rockdale. There's some tough critics out there here, man. Some tough oh, yeah. critics, man. But especially I think, when you're serving Lebanese food to a Lebanese community. Which yeah, makes which his mum can yeah. usually do it better and yeah. her grandma yeah. can make it better. Well, let's talk about the, the, the Lebanese food in the Middle Eastern cafe you guys had. I think I, I interviewed Ibi a couple of weeks ago and I was so in... I was so inspired by what he did for Lebanese food for restaurants and I was just as inspired by you guys and what you did. You made Lebanese food cool for cafes. So there's so many um, bakery, Lebanese bakeries in Sydney and all around Australia. You know, they do the oregano pizzas, the cheese pizzas. You guys had that element, but everything you did was very different. Yeah. So you were, you were kind of, you were appealing to both markets. You had your traditional, but you also had the, the new and, and I'm like, where was the inspiration coming from? We always wanted it to be a place that we'd like to go to. So we'd go and get these to these traditional Lebanese bakeries and it was always depressing and it was always like uh, poorly built. No, like it's just different different kind of models. Yeah. You know? There was no diamond, dude. like a sour-faced dude yeah. who's spewing. It's him and he's, he's fighting with his mum there and his auntie and it's just like yeah. cheap furniture. I mean, and then we always, we always went out and we always ate at places and we we're like, man, like we want this to be a cool place where people can come to. Like imagine you can get that, but with good service, with good music, mm. with good specialty coffee, and then that's where the whole concept came in, and then... Yeah, that was literally that it. That was literally it. So you, you, yeah. We go to a lot of these local bakeries, and everything was... They hadn't thought about the small things. Uh, when, when your food is ready, uh, if you put it in a plastic bag, the food's going to sweat, yeah. right? <laughs> and those little details, I understood. I was like, why don't they use a paper bag? I, I never understood that. Why yeah. do I get home and it's sweaty and I'm eating a soggy bread? And I felt like the, those little things were um, the difference at 1943. Yeah. It's that attention to detail. Yeah. It's to use the, the better quality of beef mince. It's to use imported olive oil. It was to use really high quality Australian olives. Yeah. Um, not that canned... Slice stuff. Slice stuff that can outlast a nuclear shower because <laughs> it's been in a can for 10 years. It's still alright, but like they're, okay, they're in the they're fridge okay. in the back. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like it was, and I just felt like that was 
That was it. That was missing in the market. And that's all we did. We looked at a really simple product, um, packaged it in a cool way, served it on a plate in a yeah. cool way, made it a bit more modern. Like the mm. gaki was traditionally never served the way we served it. Yeah. And I think um, that kind of that's what gave us the platform to, um, to appeal to people. Yeah. yeah. Do you think? Do you think it was with the the bakery was very unique? How much inspiration of that bakery? Like I said, you guys did things very different. How much of inspiration from your mum did you get for 1943 for the food? Heaps, man. Yeah. Well, every day I this, I don't know if you know this story, but the halloumi gaik was actually a sandwich my mum made for me as a child, and it was the tastiest sandwich ever. Uh, it was zaatar halloumi tomatoes olives. Right, and she used to wrap it on Lebanese bread for me, and I used to tell my sister, "This is the greatest sandwich in history. <laughs> there is nothing that compares to this." If I ever open a cafe one day, I'm gonna put this on the menu. Um, and then when we when, when we did the halloumi kak, it was a no-brainer. I was like, "What are you gonna put on there, man? I'm gonna put zaatar, halloumi, no tomatoes, one was doing that. olives, man. No, no one, man." And then we added a bit of shallots to it um, and put it in a kak, a different type of. Uh, vehicle to hold it in. Suzukan eggs is man, staple. It's a staple, man. Yeah. Yeah. You you probably grew up eating Suzukan eggs filled. Yeah. 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 Um, and the cheese gake was just the classic uh, gake. However, we made it so cheesy, so tasty, high quality cheese, a blend of cheeses, and we made sure that it was cooked correctly. It needed to be Super crispy, and the cheese needed to be, you know, amazing. And I think, mean, yeah, those, a lot of that inspiration did come from mum, because I'd often ask her, what did you grow up eating? And I'm like, Suzuki Connects? She was like, yeah, well, as a kid, Sunday morning breakfast, you have Suzuki Connects. Mm. And then the halloumi gaik was a sandwich she made for me. The four cheese gaik was something we grew up eating our whole lives. And then obviously, the Ahmed Ajin came in. You know, she gave me her, her recipe and then we just kind of dressed it up and made sure that it was, it just popped a little bit more. Yeah, yeah and a, a lot of these flavors, even later items on the menu came from traditional things that my mum made for me as a kid or she had cooked while she was growing up. And what we did was just put a little modern twist on it. Yeah, and I love the fact that you said a bit earlier with the quality of the ingredients, you wanted the best of the best. If it was oil from Lebanon, yeah. you wanted to use the best of the best. Do you think because you, you didn't grow up in the hospitality environment, you always, like, we were a bit naive when we go into hospitality, right? Definitely. We don't know what we're getting ourselves into, but you knew that you wanted to create the best possible quality quality in, in your food, and that showed. Because there's a lot of other bakeries that, like you said, aren't using the high-quality mints or the olive mm. oil or the olives. Do you think that played a big part, not knowing... Not knowing, being a bit naive coming to the industry, do you think that played a part? Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt, mm. man. Um, uh, like, uh, when we were growing up, we always knew what tasted good and what didn't taste good. Mm. But I, don't, I never understood why, right? But then when we opened the shop and then someone put an olive in front of me and then someone else put an olive in front of me, I'm like, that's a shit olive, that's a good olive. Yeah. Now I know why that, that sandwich that I ate four years ago tasted so good in comparison mm. to another sandwich that I ate. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think we, uh, Amani and Hassan and I, we all, we're very proud people, I think. Mm. Uh, we wear our hearts on our sleeve, you know, you see Phil mm. when you come in. And I think we, we've taken that approach 
to all elements of the business. With the food, we, we didn't take any shortcuts. We always made sure it's top quality. Uh, with the coffee, we always made sure we were serving the best coffee we can possibly serve. Uh, with, our, with our service, you know, we're very fortunate to have a great Google rating. And, and that just goes down to us just always wanting to make sure we were doing the best we can, no matter where it was. If you were just coming in to have a coffee and get a takeaway zatar, we were going to treat you like you were spending $200 yeah. and having breakfast. So, we, yeah, we, we had that approach to everything, and I think that's why we were pretty successful with 1943, one of the key things. I think you boys were very successful, <laughs> being very humble. Oh. So. Um, you spoke a little bit about that, the, the hard times when you guys first opened. This podcast is really like this podcast is to deter people from opening a venue. And if you still want to, if you still want to open a venue after this, it means you genuinely want to open a shop. And you're a little bit crazy. And you're a little yeah, bit crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to know, like, what can you, what kind of advice can you? Well, not advice, but what, what, what did you go through other than that first period of, of when you open the struggles, the highs and lows? We've spoken a lot about this off air, but what, what did you guys go through? Is there any certain moments in, during the last three years that you struggled? That you, you know, you felt you couldn't talk to someone. What was that process like? I think um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very hard step um, for me personally, besides the business. Not Even the whole process is difficult, you know. Even going in with a little bit of experience, like, you know, we're going to go into another venue now. Um, it's not going to be uh, happy days and cruisy. Yeah. We're still expecting, you're still going to have to be resilient and you're still going to need that same sort of toughness. But I think... The biggest challenge was, and the biggest kind of slap in the face was uh, the sacrifice that hospitality requires. You know, you're going to lose a lot of friends. Um, you're not going to have a social life for a long time, especially if you're inexperienced. And you just got to be willing to put in those really, really late hours. You know, we always get customers come in and tell us, oh man, opening, this, this looks mad. I, I want to open up a cafe. And I'll tell them, why do you want to open up a cafe? Like, what? And they're like, you know, it's social, and I'm, I'm, I'm a social kind of guy, and, you know, and then <laughs> I'm like, yeah, well, it's actually the complete opposite. Uh, <laughs> you become extremely antisocial, yeah. and you get home, and you just, man, there were some nights where I'd just stare at my ceiling for three hours straight and not want to talk to anyone or see anyone. So I think that resilience and that toughness, you just got to yeah. really want it. Before we go on to you, Hassel, was there any time where you felt like you needed to talk to Hass or Manny or even anyone in for that matter and just you wanted to get it off your chest but you couldn't? Yeah, definitely. It was really, really hard for me because uh, Hass, like it was hard for me to talk to Hass because he was going through the same thing. And You didn't uh, want to burden each other. I didn't want to, we didn't want to burden each other. And then... Um, yeah, it was just kind of kept kind to myself of, for a long time. Found my sister. Yeah, well. Amanda was great. Amanda was like she, my she's, go-to man. She's, she was, she's tough, man. Yeah, she's like yeah, yeah. beautiful she's, smile, always happy. She's tougher than both of us by far. <laughs> she's yeah. a superman, yeah. man. She yeah. is. Yeah, she inspired me a lot and us a lot. And that's beautiful. Um, you know, she at the time had two kids and she'll get them ready for school and then, and then you know, and she'd always call me after and be like, "How are you?" You know. Uh, my mum at the time, you know, my mum was always trying to be supportive, but obviously being overseas, she was a little bit disconnected from what's going on. She can just kind of tell me, you know, like, what do you need? How can I help you? You can do it, you know. But, um, yeah, she wasn't really here. So, yeah, I did find that a bit challenging, but just had to uh, dig deep. Dig deep, yeah. And it's one of those things that never ends, does it? It just, no. It's every day. It doesn't matter how good the business is going, no, there's always yeah. new problems. No, it doesn't uh, end. What about you, Huss? Talk to us about some of those. I mean, we've spoken a lot about this. <laughs> 
And I just, I think this is why it's important to get you on the podcast because you boys were always very honest and open with me. And um, talk to us about those struggles. Uh, early on, man, yeah, it was, it was tough, man. Um, Hospitality is a grind, man. And people think that there's a top of a mountain in hospitality, but that actually doesn't exist. It's just, it's a, it's a everyday struggle. You have to turn up every single day, and you have to smile, and you have to make sure that. Uh, everything's consistent, everything is tasting good, um, everything is trendy, everything is new, and everything is clean, everything is systemized. And that day-to-day grind, it, it wears you down over time. And because we weren't ready for that, I really believe that um, I kind of dipped into a really dark hole for a long time. Um, I know the first year, year and a half, I lost a lot of friends. Um, I stopped seeing a lot of people. I would literally come home. I'd finish uh, service and I'd just be sitting in my, my room. I'd lay on my bed and I'd just stare at the ceiling thinking, fuck, man, like, this is one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. I've built business, sold business, done heaps of things. But this is fucking, this is a nightmare, man. Like, is this what hospitality is? Is this what owning a venue is? Um, and to anyone opening a venue I just think that if you don't love it and we've, we've heard this on your podcast a zillion times and I've heard it on every other podcast that I've listened to if you don't love it and truly believe in what you're doing um, then there's no point in doing it now for me obviously my circumstances were a little bit different to everyone else I didn't open a venue because I, it was always my dream the venue fell in my lap. And that venue um, turned into something really special. And I'm very fortunate for that. Uh, That turned into something special because of my sister, because of my mother, because of my best mate. Um, And that, um, that made the journey and the process a lot easier. And then the day-to-day grind, (coughs) excuse me, um, the day-to-day grind wasn't as hard. Um, it actually became more and more enjoyable and then that's when the love came in and that's when I truly fell in love with hospitality because after two years I looked around and I said fuck this is pretty cool man look what I've built yeah look what my sister's built look what my mate's built look what my mum's built people travelling from all over Sydney man Canberra insane man I have people from Melbourne coming from Penrith Penrith (laughs) that's another country You know, people from coming in from, from, from Melbourne telling me, man, I've seen you on Instagram. I really want to try your food. Mm. Um, I've got bakeries around Sydney doing gark with halloumi, zaatar and tomatoes. <laughs> I've got people putting avocado on gark and manoush. Yeah. Um, there's people doing rose water lemonades. We've got things popping off everywhere around us. I'm like, I sat back and I'm like, this is pretty cool, man. We and just have to pinch ourselves yeah, sometimes. Yeah, and, yeah, so the first year and a half... Uh, was extremely tough and then the following year and a half we had we were there for three years um it feels like 10 it feels like 10 yeah yeah you're quite like, you feel older yeah. <laughs> yeah so is it the reason we keep going back and, and we're going to talk a little bit about what you know the last few weeks for you guys have been pretty exciting but what what do you think it is that makes us want to go back and do more open more shops do more restaurants cafes 
Is it that? Is it that feeling of, of what you? So need? much money in it. So no, there <laughs> isn't. Don't listen to him, guys. There's easier ways to make money. <laughs> so much money, man. Yeah. No, I think it's that energy, man, and and that feeling that Hus was just saying. You know, mm. like I remember, you know, on Saturdays and Sundays, I used to walk up to Hassan Amani, and you know, I'd come inside and I'd be like, guys, look at the waiting list. You know, like yeah, man, <laughs> one was... year ago, we we're like, how do we get people through the door? And that feeling and. You know, people coming up to you and talking about it and the accomplishment. And as humans, I think we, we love achievements. And when you work hard for something, it makes it all that much nicer. Um, and it's something we're proud of. So I, I, think, think, um, I think we built something bigger than us yeah, at 1943. And I think that's what was the most fulfilling thing. That, it, that, that thing, that shop, was its own living, breathing thing. And it had its own identity, and and people from all over Sydney, and uh, you know, were, were coming in and gravitating towards that thing that was much had become much bigger than all of us was, I think, the most uh, satisfying thing, and that's what I think is the addiction. Mm. That's where the addiction comes from. For sure. Mm. That's why we're drawn back to hospitality. Yeah. It's because. It is probably one of the worst industries you could ever work in, <laughs> but goddamn, when it you're is, in, there's no way there's out. There's no way out, man. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's, so, it's true. so rewarding. Yeah, it no, is so rewarding, true. and we all know that there are easier ways to make money, um, but it's rewarding on so many different levels. Yes. Yeah. yeah. How, how proud are your families of, of your success? Like, say, obviously, your family are in Lebanon, mm. watching from afar, and. And and Hus, you had your you know your parents there every day. Your dad at the front. He was the real king of the shop. He was yeah, the king. And he, he just he was our CEO. We see, used to call him. <laughs> yeah. But just seeing how proud he was every time I walked in for me, it was just it was just so much of that venue that just, there was so much soul. It was. What, yeah. What do you what were your parents' reactions like? What's what, what do they feel? Mum was so like, how do I say, man? She was at the beginning she was overwhelmed by how busy we were getting, and then it was. Uh, She kind of knew all along that it was going to happen. Mm. Yeah, she's like, I had no doubt. You know, like mm. it was, it was, it was a matter of time. Yeah. We just had to chip away at it, and it was going to happen. Yeah. Um, Dad tells all his friends about it. <laughs> he plays cards five nights a week, and all they hear what about is 1943. Yeah. <laughs> but I've never seen anyone in my life more proud. He's yeah, extremely proud. proud. You know, yeah. he's uh, he's been here for a very very long time, and he was very unfortunate in his uh, in his life. He had a very, very big car accident, so it stopped him from working. So I think he lives vicariously through me and my sister, um, and he loved uh, business, and he loved kind of the, the chase of business, and he was involved just as much as everyone else. Yeah. And every day, what are the numbers? You know, <laughs> how'd you go? You have too much staff, or cut your staff. I love that. I yeah. love that. What are you paying for this? Yeah, yeah. Too much. Yeah. Get it down. I'm looking at this dude. I'm like, what the hell do you know? <laughs> yeah, but but he knows. He knows. Yeah, he, knows, he, knows. he was heavily involved in yeah, like in in supporting me, man. And proud. I, I think proud's an understatement. He's just waiting for another shop, man. Yeah. And what's a new environment? We're yeah. going to talk about those new shops in a second. Yeah. But Sal, what about you? From your, I know your family, obviously in Lebanon. It, was it pressure for you as well? I mean, I know that. First, tell me how they felt. Like, how proud were they? And also, from a supporting point of view, is it something where you've had to feel like, especially with what's going on in Lebanon now, you have to support them? 
Yeah, definitely. Like that was always playing on my mind as well. You know, my mum. My mum actually came here for a holiday in the early days. She was here for around a month. Um, it was during one of those Ramadans, and I remember she was here for a month, um, and I probably would have seen her for around a good 15 minutes a day, because I would be at the shop all day, all night, yeah. and um, she would bake us cakes and bake us sweets, and she just wanted to help. She knew she was there for a short time. Um, yeah, my mum's great, man. My mum's my motivation. And I, I know now, you know, I, I knew this was important for me to succeed because I can support her. Um, and yeah, man, she motivates me 100% and she was always encouraging and yeah, I'm, I'm super happy that she's proud. That's beautiful, man. That's really, and, and I can see it when you guys are talking. I should start recording these podcasts because our uh, video recording. Yeah, <laughs> oh, no, no. It's, the, it's, it's, it's <laughs> the emotion, man. And this is what makes everything we do even more special. <laughs> um, so let's talk about what happened recently with 1943. Can you guys, um, this has not been announced, so can we talk a little bit about what's happening? Well, it has been announced. It has been announced. Well, I mean, well, it's the worst well, well, you knew about it, so yeah. everyone knows now. The, the, the day before, <laughs> which I'm very upset about. That, um, so, um, yeah, after three years, um, we, uh, we decided that um, we, uh, we wanted to sell 1943. Um, and it was, time for growth and time for a new challenge and a new adventure and something I was always beating the drum about to sell and my sister and you know I'd pull up my sister and say doesn't matter what happens in life you always got to finish on top mm. Sal we've got to finish on top and let's not be that cafe that in three years time people saying that used to be good the owners are tired the owners are depressed they've opened up another venue they've neglected this it's one neglected. it doesn't taste the same it doesn't taste the same it's not the same Everything in its time is beautiful. Leave it in that time and, and, and move on. Yeah. And that was the biggest reason for why you guys signed. And that was really the sole yeah. reason. It wasn't to do with money. Man, we had offers of, uh, to franchise the name. We had offers to open up other shops. Um, another 1943 out west, people kept saying, because I don't know if any of the listeners know, but on a Saturday and Sunday, you're waiting 40 minutes for a table. Uh, on a Friday, it's jam-packed most, most of the day. People are trickling in and out all day. And on a Monday to Thursday, there's a steady flow there. It's a busy little shop. And um, everyone kept asking, are you going to expand? Are you going to take next door? Are you going to open a bigger one? And I think in the beginning, we, we played around with the idea. Mm. And then, I don't know, man. We just kind of said, you know, everything in its time is beautiful. Let's not ruin what we've created. Uh, let's leave Warren on top. And that was the main reason, man. And I think we've protected our, I know without sounding corny, we've protected our legacy in a way. Yeah. We're walking away from this and people are like, fuck, man, they could have really ran with that name. They could have really ran with that product and turned it into something much bigger. But I think it would have lost its soul and I think the shop would have lost its heart. And I really believe we did the right thing. Yeah. yeah, you're right. You're 100% right about the soul. And you guys, there's so much integrity, and that legacy is there because everyone knows 1943 is Sal, Hassan, and Manny. So um, it's credit to you boys. What was that feeling like once the deal was done, signed, signed over? Oh, that was uh, the most emotional. I don't even know. Like, I don't even know what, what I was feeling. It was so hard to say because it it's a very difficult process. I think anyone who's ever sold a business especially a cafe like ours. It's a, it's a difficult process. The handover is never easy. 
And, um, you know, I remember we, we were talking about it first and then me, Hassan and Manny, we, we would go for a walk at night and we'd be like, nah, let's not do it, let's keep it, let's wow. run with it. How do you guys feel? And we'd be like, nah, nah, let's keep it. And then the next day we'll be like, nah, it's got to go. Put emotions aside. So it's a real, real, it was a real emotional battle. For yeah, all it, roller coaster, man. Yeah, yeah it, was, it, was a roller coaster. it was a roller coaster. And then... Because it was lo- for a long time we wanted to do what was best for the business. That's right. And we had the business... Um, at heart first and then our own personal interests mm. um, and I was always like man it, it deserves something more it deserves new energy it deserves you know uh, someone else to come in and, and, and breathe a, you know a new breath into it and yeah, that's right. um, we're going to get tired we're going to get over it um, we want to do other things we kept talking about doing other things for a long time is it fair for 1943? These were the conversations we were having. Yeah. Um, and then when it finally did happen, man, it, yeah, it was, was... crazy feeling. It was, it was only, what, two weeks ago? It was two yeah, it was weeks two ago. Weeks ago we handed over completely, yeah, yeah. so... It was, uh, it was bittersweet. It was yeah. bittersweet. It was That's bittersweet. a good way to put it. Yeah. It was beautiful and sad in many ways. My mum was sad, my dad was sad. Was. But... We- but he's still getting phone calls and messages saying, hey, do you guys still own 1943? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. A few people trying to still got a couple yeah. of cake suppliers telling me, can I meet you at the shop? Yeah. <laughs> you just block him now? It's just like, dude, you have no idea. <laughs> what, what did, um, did 1943 give you guys the confidence to open? Like what, what kind of confidence did 1943 give you to open more venues? All of the confidence. Yeah, yeah like we... It, but the plus of owning 1943 was yeah. because it became so popular, we had real famous cafe owners like Phil Halani come in. Yep. Uh, Phil Halani as well. Uh? And Phil Halani. And Phil yeah. Halani. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah, keep going. <laughs> and uh, we had all these cool hospitality dudes coming in. Mm. And we, Sal and I being nosy cunts. Oh, sorry, right. sorry about that word, Phil. That's all right. yeah. <laughs> this is adults only 18 plus, uh, okay. that's fine. Uh, Sal and I just talked to everyone. Say, hey, man, what do you do? Yeah. What are you up to? And just start networking with everyone and, and building relationships and genuine relationships and go out and visit people at their cafes and, and eat at their cafes. And we're like, man, we don't give ourselves enough credit. We're actually not bad at what we do. And then over the last three years, the conference has just grown and grown. And we've actually looked around and said, hey, man, we can run a pretty good operation. We made a lot of mistakes at 1943. What have we learned from those mistakes and how can we apply it to another business? Take the same customer service, the same soul, the same love that we did at ni- that we had at 1943, inject it into a new venue, but it's run more like a business, mm. right? Um, and yeah, man, we definitely have the confidence now after 1943. Yeah. I think you guys never gave yourself enough credit. And I think, I think everyone has this kind of imposter syndrome where we feel like we're not good enough. Well, and I didn't want to come on the podcast. <laughs> exactly, you were hiding for a while. So. But I think, I think, again, you guys didn't give yourself enough credit. You said it yourself. I had family in Melbourne that the first stop they wanted to go when they came to Sydney was 1943. That's awesome. And, then, and from the airport to 1943, there's 100 Lebanese bakeries. Yeah. So again, it's credit to you boys. Can we talk about the new projects you guys have, have lined up or we're not... What, what oh, can we yeah, talk about? We can, yeah, 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 of course, yeah. Because so, you're going to get at least eight customers from this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good, better than the start of 1943. <laughs> we'll take it. We'll take it. Okay, let's do it. Yeah. Um, so what happened was, was there was a site that um, Hass 
I think a friend told him about and Hus had been looking at for a while. Um, it's in a park in Woolai Creek. And um, we'd always drive past it and Hus told me, look, council here are building a site, blah, blah, blah. We'd get down, we'd look at the plans, look at the fence. And we, you know, we both kind of knew like, this is cool. And this is, this is, we want this, you know. Um, and then we waited for the tender process to kind of happen. And so it's a council site. It's a council site, yeah. Council built the site and it was, they were tendering it out to operators. And then um, in the meantime, uh, we, had, we got offered a site in, in Bexley. And then, we were, you know, we were, we were in the process of selling 1943 and we're three years in already. You know, we had a good team. We had built a really, really good team at 1943 where we always didn't have to be there and we had a bit of time and... Well, like, you know what, like, we can't sit here and wait for this council tender. Councils can be, un are known to be very slow. Um, well, like, we don't know what this process is going to be like. Like, they might, we might have no chance. Let's just take this, uh, we'll Let's look at this shop, we'll look at it. Let's look at this, this, this new site in Bexley. Yeah. It was very similar to 1943 in the sense it was cheap rent, old building, yeah, decent our location. Our style of building. Our style of building, you know, needs too much work. <laughs> Um, so yeah, we get off at this site in Bexley North and um, we're like, yeah, we're no. We are doing the tender first, I think. So we were doing the tender, yeah. we looked at the site and then we are like, you know what, let's, let's hold it off for now. Let's hold off, that's and right. And then we went through this uh, nightmare of a tender process. Correct. I don't know if anyone's ever done a tender for a cafe, but it was uh, around 30 days of me and Huss sleeping for two hours and yeah, we had it was like a massive uni assignment. Yeah, we had to submit 140 oh, yeah. pages yeah. to council of our proposal. So They we gave had, us three weeks. They gave us three weeks. <laughs> so we smash out the tender, we submit the tender, and then there's this site in Bexley that's just simmering in the background. Meanwhile, council come back to us and say, listen, we're not going to let you know for if you have the site for another about four months. Wow. So we had just, we were literally about to submit, it's been three weeks, we were just pushing to get it done in these three weeks, and, they and then they're like, they extended it by a month, mm. and then we're like, on the way back home, we're like, fuck this shit, let's take that site in Bexley. Yeah, we because went, <laughs> we had, there was no certainty, so we submit this tender, we want to do other things, 1943 is in, the, is in the pipeline to sell, we've got this guy who's heavily interested, who loves it, we're like, we're going to sell it, we want to move on to another site. Council's not giving us any guarantees. Man, let's just go do this deal. Call up the agent, we do the deal, and we're like, all right, beautiful, secure the second site. Um, and then uh, Christmas came around, and we're like, man, we're not gonna touch the site uh, in Bexley North for at least two months. We had negotiated a really long free rent period. So we're like, man, let's just cruise, let's just, enjoy this, this time a little bit. We're about to sell 1943. There's no rush. It's going to be fine. Man, we sell 1943. We sign the contract. And five days later, the council send us an email saying, congratulations, <laughs> you've won the site. What was that feeling? Feeling? Oh, was, so you got two pretty exciting. <laughs> well, thankfully, you've sold one venue, so you're not worrying about three venues yeah, now. You're worrying about two. Yeah. What's the feeling like? How we're going to run two venues? Is that the thought process? Nah, nah we're, we we're were right, because yeah. the venue in Bexley North was always uh, a takeaway night venue. Uh, Is that still a secret? What you nah, doing we're going to we're doing a pizzeria, uh, a pretty cool one at that. Um, it will be halal. 
um, and probably the best halal pizzeria in Australia. Wow. Um, you guys you guys talk a lot about being the premium hospitality, um, premium halal hospitality group in Australia. Correct, yeah. So we don't obviously, uh, there's no pork on our premises just because of religious beliefs. Um, and we don't uh, also sell any alcohol. Uh, what we try and do is create high quality, cool hospitality venues that are also halal friendly. Um, obviously, have growing up in a, in, a, in a Muslim household, I wanted to kind of preserve that. Um, and I think um, we can do that in a way where it's inclusive for everyone in, in Australia, in Sydney, like everyone is welcome. Um, but if that small minority does ask if it is halal, it's 100% halal, yeah. which I think makes it even more cool. Mm. Just want to cater yeah. for everyone. That's credit to you, boys. And I think the cool thing is, halal or not, you guys are attracting Muslims, non-Muslims. Yeah, like, oh, of course. Like yeah, yeah, just, yeah, yeah, of course. course. Yeah. You'd never it's just know an that. added bonus. Yeah, 1943, yeah. you'd never know that it's a halal cafe. Yeah, correct. No, so not true. in a million yeah. years. Yeah. Yeah. You walk in there, it just looks like any other trendy cafe. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're doing, uh, we're doing a pizzeria. Should we tell them the name or not yeah, yet? Yeah, not? Let's, yeah. Hold, hold up, is it registered? Because you don't want to... Yeah, it's registered. Yeah, right, it's in registered. that case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. Um, so we're calling it my mother's cousin. It's very cool. Yeah. It's <laughs> very, good very for cool. him. It's yeah. a bit out it's there. A bit, yeah, we're paying homage to 1943 um, because obviously 1943 was the mother and this is the cousin of the mother. That's amazing. Yeah. And it just... You know, we talk about how important branding is and, and marketing and I think you guys have that natural knack for it because when you... When you 1943... Independence in Lebanon, mm. mother's cousin. It's yeah. you know the it's just it's a beautiful story, man. And I think this is why you guys everything you do will, you know turn to gold. Yeah. So you got mother's cousin, and then the one down in Walai Creek. Um, yeah, so the one in Walai Creek will be a seven day venue. It's going to be a cafe in the middle of the park on uh, the Cook River, the Cooks River. Um, it's going to be called Milk and Honey. And once again, um, Milk and Honey is just an extension of 1943. Um, when my dad immigrated here and my mum immigrated here, um, Australia was the land of milk and honey. And uh, we're paying homage to uh, those late 60s, early 70s uh, days, awesome. you know, it's in so Australia. Cool. And just, you know, we're very grateful uh, for what Australia has done for us, for our parents, my for nieces, all for all of us, man. Like, yeah. the, Australia's a very rich migrant history. This is history. my country, man. Yeah. Like, this is, you know, this is where I was born and raised, and we wanted to, to pay tribute to that, and the menu will be reflective of Australia's rich migrant history, um, also, uh, uh, it's going to pay uh, a lot of tribute to uh, Australian classics as well. It's really cool. I'm very excited about that, boy. We've been talking about that a lot. Yeah. What, what's the plan for open date for both? Like, what are you thinking roughly? Stop asking stupid yeah, questions. Know, right? <laughs> no one knows that. You just sold 1943. No one knows that answer. Well, I go on a little holiday worse. <laughs> well, obviously, you're not that experienced. You know? <laughs> Nobody knows that. You know? Oh, God. I don't know. Three months. Yeah, I reckon two, four three months. months yeah. That's exciting, man. So we'll, we'll get it once we get through the design process. We're just in the design process for both now. For both. And then uh, we'll get a bit more clarity. they're going to open very similar times. That's not something we planned. Yeah. Yeah. It just happens. Yeah. Um, the pizzeria is going to operate five nights a week for five hours a night. Okay. Um, there'll be some other things on the menu that will make it a little bit unique and different. Yeah. Um, and obviously, uh, Milk and Honey will be operating seven days a week. Um, 
in the beginning and with potential pop-ups and whatnot, collaborations Ooh. with... Uh, Should we talk about our collaboration at Percy Plunkett for Ramadan or... Oh, potentially. Just, what did you hear about? I don't know, man. <laughs> I thought if we get on air, it's going to be coming has he, made, has he made you sign anything no. before this? Okay. Uh, we'll talk about that off air, boys. All right, all right. Yeah. Um, no, it's very exciting. And, and obviously, we'll, we'll make sure we, um, we share that when you guys are opening. Because I know, I know it's going to be a complete success, God willing. So um, let's talk about reviews. Yeah. You guys have probably one of the best review um, Google reviews out yeah. there, 4.9 out of 5, which is, which is nearly impossible to achieve. Yeah. Um, and it's all organic, all very natural. You aren't asking people to sit there and review it's you guys. Indian call centers, man. Indian yeah. call centers. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is what this podcast is about, man. The truth. If, yes. if, if you could just get me the name of that call center. <laughs> um, firstly, like, how proud are you of that, of that, of that? because that speaks volumes of you guys, but one, how proud are you? And also, how do you deal with the, the 1% or 0.1% of, of the bad reviews? Super happy. Like, it's, yeah, we're, yeah. we're blown away, man. It, is, it does make things a bit harder sometimes because yeah. it's a certain expectation when For people sure. walk in. They're like, they, they found you on Google and they tell you that, you're like, fuck. Okay, so he's a, they're expecting crack of food. Yeah. I hope the food's still nice, <laughs> you know? Um, no, nah, it, it does... It, it adds a little bit of pressure, but at the same time, uh, you back yourself and you know that you have a good product. Mm. And then you can tell by people's reactions when they eat your food. Um, how do we deal with bad ones, self? Well, I was the lucky to manage that side of it, but it, was, uh, it wasn't <laughs> too so, hard. I'm so I just... glad it was you and not hard. I think it's important to respond to every review. Yeah. Um, just respond to all of them and review the bad ones. Yeah. Just send it to Google and get them to review it. <laughs> really? Can you do that? Nah, so we had a few where it was like one star. Un- unfair. Walked unfair. past the shop. Yeah, I'm like, well, oh, yeah. mad. Yeah. You know, or one star with no description and then I look at their page and it's a bit funny, I review it, but I just try and respond to everyone and we did get a couple of bad reviews. Yeah, we had a couple of bad ones. What, what did that do for you? For your mental health, when you see, when you see a bad review, early on, you're early like, on, it hurts, man. Yeah. It hurts, yeah. And then as time gets on, man, you take everything with a grain of salt, mm. man. Some people like their food a certain way, others don't. If you can appeal to ninety five percent of people, even ninety percent of people, you're doing your job. That's yeah, right. sure. You know, you're not going to be able to impress everyone, and yeah, man, yeah. You just take the good with the bad. In our, in our, we're very fortunate that the good outweighs the bad. Yeah, know? our Google reviews were good, but you know, even sometimes in the shop, you know, you you'll serve a coffee and someone will be like, "Oh, it's not hot enough." That to me is still a review, even yeah. though it's not on an online yeah. platform. That still goes back in, and then over time, you're like, "Well, it's not hot enough," but you know, you yeah. can't impress everyone. You know, yeah. that's the the right temperature. You may be like it hotter, or you like your food; it's not salty enough, but. And I think the same thing goes with reviews. You just got to look at it and just really, really assess. Maybe you can improve on it and just don't take it to heart. Yeah, Yeah. it's great advice. What um, I just want to talk a little bit more about the Ramadan nights. We've got a few more questions wrapping up, but the Ramadan nights were legendary. Yeah, they were legendary. Like how much fun were those? So those Ramadan nights for anyone that hasn't visited 1943, can you explain a little bit about that? Yeah, so we're very fortunate. Not many cafes in Sydney have that opportunity where they have this month where they can flip their shop into a nighttime buzzing takeaway trade. Um, Of course, where we are and the product we serve, we capitalised on that and... It was, it was truly a special night and um, 
whoever witnessed it, I'm sure, will say the same. Phil, Amazing. You, you, so much Phil, fun. Phil, what do you think? I, I tell you what, I wanted to work there. That, I wanted to be part <laughs> of it. It just looked like it, there was chaos. Yeah, it was but chaos. It was, it was controlled chaos. Controlled. Yeah. But it was just literally like people everywhere. And it was yeah. just the vibe, the feeling, the people. It was just magical. It was, it was magical. It some, was, some of the most memorable hospitality moments were at 94. Man, we had people that weren't even Muslim turning up. And yeah. Not, no people, and which is, which is what we wanted, you know. I'd have our regulars that come in the day like, hey, boys, what are you doing? Yeah, what's going on here? He's got a gelato truck. Yeah. <laughs> and it const- and constantly evolved as well, didn't it? It did evolve, yeah. yeah. So we and that was uh, something we learned. Uh, we collaborated with a lot of people. So the first year, I remember, this was three years ago, the Knefi French Toast mm. was coming. It was, it, Salam, at the time, uh, who, who was the founder of Knefi French Toast, had this product. And she approached me and she said, listen, I have this product. No one has it. I want to get it out. I want to sell it at your cafe. I'm like, you want to sell it at our cafe? We're like the quietest cafe in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> what is wrong with you? Right? She's seen the vision, man. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, let's put it on the menu. Like, done, whatever. Let's yeah. just put it on the menu. So we collaborate with her. Man, people take to it. It spreads like wildfire. Everyone thinks I created it. I'm like, I did. Thank you, credit for it. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Nah, um, it, it just, it went ballistic for her yeah. um, which was awesome for us as well because people were coming to our shop to eat the Knefi French toast because they honestly thought that we were responsible for it and we would tell them we weren't they were like oh cool where can we get this from oh, yeah, okay. um, so that was awesome thing f- for, for 1943 in Ramadan and the following year um, I think we did uh, who did we do the following year Sal? Um, we did... Was it Cheat Day Sydney? We did Cheat Day Sydney, that's right. We did the Pavlova Cheesecake and then we had the Knefi French Toast back on because we, we used to take it off for the entire year and just put it on in Ramadan. Um, and then we had LA Donuts LA and a couple donuts. of other things on there. And we, we just a lot of our own desserts. Yeah, we were just collaborating and reaching so out cool. to everyone. We had Backdash ice cream, backdash the Syrian, ice cream. traditional Syrian yeah. ice cream. The boys came out yeah. one night so and So we reached out to Ferris and he was hand-making ice cream on the door. Uh, like traditional handmade ice cream and all these things uh, turned into something magical yeah and uh, people were coming in like man give me the pavlova I'll get some ice cream I'll get a Knefi French toast give me six kark you know it was uh, 1940 you couldn't get that experience anywhere so and all people spilled out all over the road you know you, you're talking about hundreds of customers spilled out onto a road and a quiet Mid coronavirus. Yeah. <laughs> Some yeah. quiet street Yeah, but it was fun. I mean, I remember because the third, your third Ramadan obviously was during COVID. And yeah. to see how you guys were still so busy, obviously you had to control the, the craziness. We tried, but we failed tried, epically. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, but I don't, think, I don't think it was from your doing. I think yeah, it was yeah, just more was the, so Yeah, we didn't let anyone to the shop. We did yeah. everything we could as a business to... You did a great job. ...to, to, to implement yeah. social distancing and... Um, yeah, we couldn't kind of control what happened out on the street, um, but it was good fun. Yeah, it was yeah. good fun. And like I said, it, it's honestly some of the most memorable nights I've had out in a venue has been at 1943 yeah. at Ramadan night. So what I was. Phil, tell me, hey, I'm just going to be here for a half an hour. I've got to go. I'm gonna get yeah, up yeah, and leave. Three and a half hours later, I go outside. Like, why is this guy still here? people around him. talking. <laughs> <laughs> I remember me and Huss used to just, me and Huss always used to say, fuck, why couldn't somebody else do this and we just come here and enjoy it? Yeah, well, now you, know? you, now you boys can. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> 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 
<laughs> it's going to be a bit yeah. hard. For, I mean, do you think you'll be emotional this year around? I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. so. Yeah. Maybe we should all go down together. For I sure. Why cool, not? Man, yeah. And Cass if we have cool. to, we'll jump behind the machine. And yeah. yeah. Cass is cool, man. He's doing some really great things. That's and awesome. I hope he can push and out. I, and and I've seen how much um, effort and time and, and energy you put into Cass and that business as you sold it. And, and you're still doing that now. So, mm. again, it goes back to show that morals that you guys have. What, what's three, um, well, not three pieces of advice. What's, what, what piece of advice would you give to anyone that wants to start their own business? Cafe or? Yeah, hospitality. Hospitality. Um, ask, look in the mirror and ask yourself some really, really honest questions if that's what you're ready to do. Um, be prepared to be resilient and uh, be prepared to sacrifice a lot. Yeah, and it's not as pretty as it looks from the outside. Yeah, I definitely agree with Sal. Um, just be honest with yourself and ask yourself, uh, I think in any business, not just hospitality, are you mm. ready to sacrifice and think about your business 24 hours a day? And that's yeah, the truth. So true. If you want to be successful, man, yeah. um, in hospitality, it's so competitive mm. that you really got to think about it 24-7. Yeah. Um, are you prepared to work seven days a week? Are you prepared to earn shit money? Um, and if you are, man, then... I think you'd be successful. Um, it's not a lifestyle for everyone. It's, no, it's, it's it, you've got to really, really, um, you've got to really love it. Yeah. And I think once you get to that point where the, I mean, it's always hard, but when you get through that hurdle, which you did with you know first six months, mm. man, like, like I've previously mentioned on these podcasts, it could be the most beautiful thing in the world. So, yeah, yeah that's, that's some great advice, boys. Um, who do you guys look up to in the industry? Is there is there any guys in the that you look up to that you think these guys are really nailing it? Like, can you name a few venues or operators? Percy Plunkett, first of all. <laughs> oh, no, come on, guys, come on. Um, I, I really look up to a lot of guys that uh, in the restaurant game, like uh, the yeah. Portenio Group. So um, Joe Valor. Joe Valor and Elvis, you know, we, we've done a lot of security work for them when we were younger and they've just opened up a bakery now, their first cafe, Humble in Surrey Hills, and I'm just like, well, man, everything these guys touch is like, uh, magical. And I remember working for two guys who own Bistecca now in the <laughs> yeah. city, Warren and James. Yeah. Um, I remember Warren and James talking to me a lot on the doors, and obviously, we don't really have a, a very we don't have a personal relationship, mm. but there is a relationship there. And from a distance, yeah, we we look up to these people and we we admire them a lot um, because a lot of these dudes were the pioneers of amazing venues in Sydney. Mm. Venues that were a little bit different, a little bit edgy, that no one was doing. Um, so from a, yeah, from, a, from a hospitality perspective, I love the local guys mm. because the local guys are what's pushed this city, man. So true. Um, and I love this city. I think people like Justin Hams don't get enough credit, man, um, because everyone just looks at Justin Hams as someone with a big bank account. Man, the dude's a visionary. Yeah. Um, man, he's pushed this city to places that uh, no one was willing to push it. Um, you know, like I said, from a distance, we look up to him. Um, even local dudes, local cafe owners, like yourself, and I'm not, I'm not taking the piss. Sure. Um, Thanks, you were boys. courageous enough to, to, you know, to put your balls on the line and do, do what something you did. different. And with what you're doing now, man, of course we look up to you. Um, you've You've blown my mind with what you're about to do. And, and I really, really, I hat off to you, Phil, man. Thanks, like, boys. It's incredible. 
Um, even if I don't have a breakdown before that, <laughs> you'll be yeah. alright. You'll be yeah, alright. Okay. We'll, right. so um, we'll consult each other. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. No, I, I don't think I don't think you have to look too far in Sydney, man. Yeah, so, there's a lot out there. Yeah, man. I think there's some yeah. great people out there and um, doing amazing things, and mm. we can learn a little bit from everyone. And I think, yeah, that's who we look up to. No, I love that, and it's yeah. again, you see how humble you boys are, and it's it's beautiful to see. What um, I'd love to know what what are each other's greatest qualities. Jesus. So we want to obviously say you talk about Haas, Haas you talk about Sal, and then you guys both talk about man. This guy's like the calmest, iciest man in history. <laughs> and this guy is the complete opposite. <laughs> <laughs> I heard I heard there was times where Haas would yell, but he knows that you bash him. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so everyone doesn't know Sal's I've got like a purple belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, so I'd yell at him but secretly hope he wouldn't do anything. <laughs> You just you'd want him to bite back, right? Yeah, I just, I just yeah, calm yeah. down. Don't poke the yeah, bear. Yeah. Nah, um, yeah. Uh, Sal was really calm. Um, really uh, a lot younger than me, but a lot calmer than me. And ladies, he's single. And he is single. Are you? Because you guys are holding out from me sometimes. So yeah, I'm in a relationship with uh, milk and honey and my mother's covered <laughs> at the moment. Yeah. Um, yeah, just calm. Amani was uh, her customer service... Uh, was next to none, man. She just really created this, I would say, this non-robotic, yeah. this, like, a real humanistic approach to the shop, you know? She was a mother, so she understood motherhood, right? She was a school teacher. So she, she just got people, man, and people would come in and she has a great sense of humour. She'd take the piss out of big, fat, small, skinny, old, young. Doesn't matter. She wouldn't care, man. That's she gives awesome. you a hard time. Yeah, she does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, she really, really brought a light to the shop that maybe at times I forgot about. You know, I was in the back just making sure that things were running smoothly and she really, really looked after the floor and Sal was the level head. At the front. Yeah, I think we kind of bounced off each other really well in terms of Give me service. something. What did you like about it? <laughs> what did you like about this is, all, this is awkward. Um, <laughs> we've, we've, we've ran out of time. <laughs> nah, Huss is, Huss is a thinker, man. Huss is mind. I've never seen a mind that works yeah. anything like his mind, yeah. man. Like he, can, he can make something out of nothing. Um, and the way he just analyzes situations and picks up things yeah. and... Uh, he's got a very creative edge. Do you, do you think Huss is the leader? Leader is a leader. Uh, he's he's a leader behind. Yeah. He's a leader from the back. I think he's great, like uh, operationally and stuff. But during service, Absolutely. definitely not. <laughs> during service, it's more. Stay there's been many times where I'm like, Huss, go for a walk. <laughs> Everything is fine. I love that. I love how you guys can just read each other and know when it's time. Yeah, like, it's yeah, that's beautiful, man. Good fun, man. Boys. You've obviously listened to the podcast. The final question um, is from Guy Raz, you know, how I built this. And he always asks, how much of your success do you put down to hard work and how much to good luck? I'll go um, 90 hard work, 10 luck. I feel like luck is very important, but I think hard work creates luck. There's no luck without hard work. If you're just sitting at home and doing nothing, you're not going to get lucky. But just if you work hard, you yeah. might get lucky. 100%. Great answer. Uh, it's just, yeah, Agree with Sal, man. I think in life, it's all about hard work. Yeah. And uh, lucky situations are made out of hard work, man. Yeah. And um, just shut your mouth, grit your teeth, turn up, do the job, yeah. and all of a sudden, you're the luckiest man alive. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And that's, I think, it's just all hard work, man. 
good way to end the podcast. Thank you. Boys, thank you for your time. It's, Thanks, um, Phil. Like I said, three months in the making. We've finally done it. <laughs> um, good luck for Milk and Honey, my, uh, my mother's cousin, and, and hopefully um, I, I know they'll be a success. So good uh, luck. Thank you very much. Thank you. just want to end it with saying that Phil only has two microphones and he couldn't <laughs> get Amani on the podcast. <laughs> We apologise, Amani. We love you very dearly. We couldn't do anything without her. Yeah. Road podcast. If you're listening, can we can we get sponsored by another another microphone? <laughs> Thanks, boys. I appreciate your time.